0: Initially, Sony was reluctant to release it to us because they weren't looking at smaller markets when they first presented their marketing plan for the picture. So we were not even on their list to begin with. And uh, we made a strong argument through our booking service that, uh, hey, guys, this part of the country, people are very familiar with that book and that story and certainly very familiar with crawdads, so you're talking to the right audience in this part of the country, and they backed off and changed their marketing plan, and we got a copy of the picture, and actually, it has been one of our largest grocers, in fact, this weekend, it was our largest grocer, beating out all of our other pictures. This is the Box
1: Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America covering the world of theatrical exhibition. Once again, joined by our co-hosts, Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content for movie theaters around the world. And we've got Rebecca Pauly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro. In this week's episode, we've got an interview with Byron Berkeley, the president of the Theater Owners of Mid-America and the owner of the Four Star Cinema in Kilgore, Texas. He's joined by Diane Pfeffer, the director of Cineshow, the convention of the Theater Owners of Mid-America that is taking place in Dallas, Texas from August 22, the 24th. That's coming up in our feature segment, but we've got Russ and Rebecca here with me. And this week, we've got the National Association of Concessionaires uh, Conference over in Orlando, Florida. Rebecca, you're going to be attending in person. uh, So that's going to be an exciting bit of news that we're going to have on our website in the coming days. Do you guys have any favorite concessions or what's your usual order at a movie theater?
2: That's one of the reasons I'm I'm excited to to go to NAC, especially since, uh, Daniel, as you pointed out uh, before we started recording, the heat probably won't be a factor because everyone will be indoors for most of the time. Um, but I like to see some of these uh, these different innovations because traditionally, I, I am a popcorn girl. I mean, getting into nachos, that was breaking outside of the, the balance. You're a traditionalist
1: when so it comes I'm, I'm, to... I'm a bit of yeah, a traditionalist. I, yeah. uh, I can tell you uh, on my end, I'm not a huge dine fan. I go to a lot of dine theaters. I think it's an interesting experience. It's not... The best fit for every movie out there. But one thing that I really do love is the ability to order a beer in a movie theater. Do you guys remember that line from John Travolta in Pulp Fiction? 1994. <laughs> it was like the strangest thing to tell people you could order a beer in a movie theater in Amsterdam. American audiences thought it was the most charming thing ever. Now it's commonplace. I was uh, talking to Rob Novak, the director of Food and Beverage over at Marcus Theaters. He said that Marcus, right now, isn't considering opening any new locations that don't have a liquor license. It's a huge trend here in F&B. Russ, on your end, what's your go-to order uh, at the movies? I tend to just not get anything, but if I do,
3: it's popcorn or a beer. I like I like the beer. I, I remember the line in Pulp Fiction. I did find it charming and uh, uh, something enviable. And then I think the first time I went to a movie in the UK, which was – Maybe the year 2000, and I was like, Oh, yeah, okay, beer in the cinema, this is great, I love it. I saw Gladiator, so was it '99 or 2000? Oh, you need
1: to drink a beer while watching a Ridley Scott movie, any I saw Gladiator Ridley Scott movie in a, in a theater,
3: yeah. yeah, in a theater in Brixton, uh, just on the south side of the river in, in London, yeah, with a friend of mine who lived there. That was that was my first UK. With a beer theater experience, and obviously I still remember it.
2: But normally, when you go to the movies, you subsist on. Vibes. Uh, yeah,
3: exactly. I am not Gen Z, so I don't know that I would say that. But the truth is
1: the same, whatever words you're going to put to it. Well, talking about Gen Z, well, not even Gen Z. I have this completely wrong. It's millennials, right? Eighteen to thirty-four. That's what we call millennials these days. I don't even know the breakdown anymore. I think millennials are even older than that at this point.
2: They're the, quote, elder and geriatric millennials. I consider myself a part of that group at 37. But, uh, yeah, I don't know about the word geriatric, but I have seen that term used. Well, we need
1: a term for this demographic here uh, at the box office because 18 to 34-year-olds, guys, drove the opening weekend box office of Jordan Peele's Nope, which opened to $44 million in North America. It's rolling out overseas this weekend like I said, 68% of the audience, uh, that's a massive market share here. Something that we usually see for comic book titles, things like that. It's great to see that for an original film uh, from a filmmaker like Jordan Peele. The other demographic breakdown here, 35 to 44, that geriatric uh, millennial, uh, young Gen X uh, <laughs> spot, that was only 15%. And even lower for 45+, plus, only 13% of the audience turning out for NOPE. So, it's an interesting development here as we see young people coming back to theaters, driving ticket sales. It's great to see when that's not tied to superhero movies. There's more out there. They appreciate original films. This weekend proved that.
2: I'm hopeful for this one that we'll be getting some solid hold based on word of mouth because, uh, Russ, I know last week we spoke about the marketing, how uh, the first trailer. Very intentionally, really didn't say anything about what the movie is, and the second trailer it did reveal a plot point I would rather have not known beforehand. But I still feel like there's, uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a real heart and there's a real emotion to this film that doesn't necessarily come through in the marketing. So hopefully some word of mouth will get going, and then some people from that older demo will uh, will show up. As I mean. I don't know, what else are they going to for the rest of the summer, <laughs> be Train? Maybe, yeah.
3: One thing I would say is, uh, bouncing off something you said, Daniel, is the idea that the this figures that we're seeing are more akin to what we would typically see for a superhero movie or something like that, that it's nice to see these numbers for an original concept. And my argument would be that maybe Jordan Peele is among the few filmmakers whose name is kind of N.I.P., and I hate to reduce him to that because I think it is a, a reduction. But if you're looking at it just in terms of breakdown and the fact that big IPs like Marvel or something are driving audiences based not just on the marketing for a current release and interest in a current release, but also in the awareness of past releases and you know love for those franchises. I think what Jordan Peele has built with now three movies, is very similar to that, at the very least.
1: I brought it up last week. There have been filmmakers in working in this sort of elevated genre place that are able to successfully do that. We've mentioned Shyamalan, we, mentored, we mentioned Steven Spielberg, Alfred Hitchcock, of course, building that blueprint of a brand name director working within a specific genre. I think Peel continues that, and that's not something that Only appeals to older people. So this is a part that has always worked with audiences in the film industry, and we see young people still tapping into that, meaning there is a formula here that's worked for generations that still works. You have a filmmaker that makes original films that are exciting for mass audiences. Young people are still going to be interested in that, no matter when they see it. And it's not only a mass audience that came out, guys. Jordan Peele is bringing in a very diverse audience. African-American and Hispanic moviegoers combining to over half of the opening weekend box office in North America, 33% for African-Americans, 20% for Hispanics. Over-indexing in their respective market shares in relation to the population in the United States. Really positive results. The word of mouth, Rebecca, is going to tell us a lot of what happens in the coming weeks. What was the uh, cinema score for this title compared to the cinema score for Peel's last effort, Us?
2: So we're looking at a V Cinema score here, both for NOPE and for US, Uh, whereas if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes audience score, NOPE places pretty much right in between US and Get Out. US was 60% approval, then NOPE 71 and Get Out 86. I hope that in terms of second week drops, NOPE also kind of falls in the middle there and doesn't match US's drop, which was a pretty substantial you know, 53%. I I feel like marketing with this one, again, I have to hope that the marketing didn't quite represent what the film was, so word of mouth is going to help more. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be as strong a hold as get out i mean that one only drops 15 yeah, percent that's an outlier that was a, definitely a case of people finding out about it and even 53 percent for us i mean that's not that's not bad i do prefer Note to that film so maybe that's just me projecting my own opinions onto things
3: you know cinema score is often more a reflection of did the audience get the movie that they thought they were going to get Or did they get the movie they wanted or that they had been led to expect? And that's where the marketing with Nope gets interesting because it's like, well, did the audience expect more of an overt horror movie akin to Get Out and Us? Neither of which are exactly overt horror movies, but did they expect something that leaned more horror? Or based on the more recent marketing, did they expect more of a sci-fi You know, aliens, UFOs thing. What was the disconnect there? And I'm kind of curious to know more about what generated that B cinema score. Because yeah, that doesn't tell me that they didn't like the movie. That just tells me that they thought it was going to be something different.
2: I mean it's a sci-fi western i mean it has horror elements certainly but in terms of genre i would put it strongly in that sci-fi western kind of period and you know it's it's redeemed the, the cinematic genre of cowboys and aliens. and wild like, wild
1: west don't forget hey i'm here to defend
3: you know i saw the movie <laughs> cowboys and aliens at a comic-con screening they did like a special screening the first time they showed it to the public was at Comic-Con, which is like the most in-the-tank audience for that movie that exists. And it was a scary, quiet screening. (laughs) Like That movie, (laughs) Cowboys and Aliens, did not even play for that audience. Oh, no. And it was honestly, I wanted to leave. I just felt bad even being there. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable.
1: I can't name too many sci-fi westerns. I think uh, Wild Wild West is another example of some things just didn't work. But Westworld... Westworld, that's your high watermark. Tremors, I would argue. Tremors is another high watermark for a sci-fi western movie. And looking at those comps that uh, we mentioned a second ago, the benchmark here for a domestic run is $175 million. Uh, that's more or less what both Get Out and Us made uh, through very different means. Uh, we had Us opening to $71 million. And that word of mouth really didn't help it push beyond 175 domestic get out opened to 33 million and word of mouth pushed it to 176 million domestic. So we are aiming for that 175 million number. It's all going to go down to word of mouth because in the coming weeks here at the box office, guys, there's not going to be too much coming out that's going to compete directly with this movie. This weekend, we've got DC League of Super Pets. Uh, We are forecasting that to open between 35 and 45 million and probably playing out to between 115 and 160 million. That's gonna be a nice $100 million plus potential title on the market. Really beyond that, we've got one more title on the calendar that has $100 million earning potential. That's Bullet Train in early August. And there's nothing here that we think is going to surpass the $100 million benchmark at the domestic box office until Halloween Ends comes out in mid-October. New trailer for that coming out last week. I know we're all Halloween fans here. What were your reactions to it?
3: Yeah, I'm curious. I've heard some things about this movie that make me wonder like, what the real thrust of it is going to be. And I don't think that's very much reflected in the trailer. So I don't know. I'm going to watch it day one. I'm absolutely there. (laughs)
1: Uh, They don't really have to sell me very much here because I'm going to see it. I think you're right, Russ, in that what we're all hoping to see from Halloween ends is a resolution to – Jamie Lee Curtis' tenure in this role and and her connection to this franchise. Honestly, I feel that it was resolved at the end of the first David Gordon Green Halloween. I'm not sure I needed an extra two movies to see that resolved. Um, I'm with you guys. Uh, I'm seeing it as a fan of the franchise. I'll see it opening weekend as a fan. But uh, my expectations were very much tempered after watching Halloween Kills.
2: I mean, at this point, it's Comic-Con season, so we have new trailers for days, a lot of new things uh, on the radar. So uh, it's kind of easy to let things go to the back burner if they don't necessarily pique your own
1: personal interest. Let's start with what our listeners want to hear more about. Uh, Russ, help us make sense of the new Marvel releases that were announced at Comic-Con. You know, we've talked a couple of times on the podcast recently about how it's been difficult to see the big
3: picture for Marvel. Marvel has created expectations for us to know what their big story arcs are. That has not been very apparent with the quote unquote phase four of movies that is currently ongoing. We know a lot more stuff now, and maybe we should have looked back in the past a little more to get a sense. So, when Iron Man came out, you know, in 2008 and the movies that immediately followed, We didn't realize at the time that we were watching the Infinity Saga, but as phases one, two, and three were revealed, Thanos became the villain. That's kind of how Marvel branded everything was the Infinity Saga. Like everything that went from Iron Man to Spider-Man Far From Home was Infinity Saga. And it's like, okay, cool. I get it. So the important thing to know here is that the next set of movies, which encompasses the phase four that we're watching now, and then like the next. 10 or 12 movies that are coming out is called The Multiverse Saga. And the implication there is that The Multiverse Saga has an ending, which also implies that all of this multiverse stuff that we've been watching for a little while is also going to come to an end. Marvel is going to pull back on a lot of that, Uh, which is smart because you can't do that forever. Like, It's a great tool. It's a thing that you can have fun with. But every comic book publisher that has tried it has found that over time it just becomes this giant, weight of storytelling editorial that has to be managed. And Marvel and DC major publishers both have multiple times expanded into these multiverse things, and then multiple times they have crushed it all back down to a smaller thing. So that is what Marvel seems to be ultimately planning.
2: So it looks like here we have uh, Blade coming out November 3rd, 2023. The following year, we have a new Captain America movie, a new World Order a Thunderbolts movie. Um, I, I got to say, Daniel has has put in the podcast notes here, quote, something called Thunderbolts. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have uh, two new Avengers movies, one in 2025 called Avengers the Kang Dynasty. And then it looks like the film that everything is leading up to is the 2025 release of Avengers Secret Wars. Russ, I know that that is a huge milestone kind of comic arc it's it's a name that i've heard of what is kind of can, can you give us some yes, context yeah. to to what this is and what it may mean towards the films leading up to it
3: well okay first off so we're in phase 4 right now phase 4 ends with black panther wakanda forever which we kind of but not necessarily knew prior to that which tells you that wakanda forever is probably going to have a lot of stuff going on which we could have assumed but you didn't know for certain Phase five, the next one, ends with Thunderbolts, something called Thunderbolts. Um, Thunderbolts is kind of Marvel's suicide squad, like to reduce it very simply, but maybe more properly because. Thunderbolts ends phase 5. That's also probably going to be a big movie. We don't know we don't know anything other than who's writing and directing Thunderbolts. We we have no idea, we don't know what characters are going to be in it. Anything like that. It's uh, Jake Schreier is is directing from a script by Eric Pearson. Eric Pearson has written other Marvel movies like uh, Thor Ragnarok. And so it's like, okay, they they're leaning on somebody who's done a bunch of their stuff. And then phase 6 begins with Fantastic 4, which is called Marvel's First Family. Uh, it's going to be the fourth take on Fantastic Four, but maybe Marvel can get it right. And then, yes, we go to the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. So Secret Wars, in 1984 and 1985, Marvel did its first big company-wide crossover, which was Secret Wars. Uh, Is where things like Spider-Man got his black costume, which ultimately led to Venom. That happened in Secret Wars. Secret Wars was basically an all powerful being called the Beyonder. Yes, that was the name. Basically, uh, kidnapped a whole bunch of heroes and villains, uh, created a place called Battle World, and made them fight. Like, it was really can we sell some toys? It was kind of what Secret Wars was. The Beyonder became uh, this weird character that Marvel never quite knew what to do with. A few years later, they did Secret Wars 2, where the Beyonder was incarnated as. Uh, a tall white dude with a perm and the sort of like very 80s all leather outfit where it's kind of like it's kind of like an extra in a Michael Jackson video like if he was on the side of the Beat It video you'd be like oh yeah that's the Beyonder ultimately then they did a Secret Wars in 2015 which was like The Beyonder had shifted to the Beyonders by that point. You don't really need to know. It doesn't matter. Even Marvel doesn't like the Beyonder because it's like, this character is a mess. It's not even a character. It's more of a reason for a thing to happen. What you need to know about Secret Wars is that ultimately it was Marvel's tool to pull back. And to take all of this multiverse stuff that they had created and like crush it and get rid of a bunch of it. Um, it's an opportunity to kill some characters and it's, it's that they're like, oh, this isn't really working. It's an opportunity to rewrite some origins. It's a reset point. And afterwards, what are things going to be like? There are a couple of other big possibilities there too. You know, you've got Kang the Conqueror. He showed up in the Loki TV series. He's the villain of Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, which comes out in February. That's the movie that opens phase five. Kang is going to be the next Thanos. For the next two years, they're all going to fight Kang. Like, or they're going to fight things that Kang does. Kang bounces back and forth in time. There are multiple versions of him. He's played by Jonathan Majors, which rules because Jonathan
1: Majors is awesome. I don't know how you guys can keep track of yeah. all this. I mean, I'm already looking forward to the Secret Wars. To just simplify this as a moviegoer. And anytime you put the word secret on a movie title, boom, I'm in. There's a secret in yeah. there. The best example uh, in Mexico, Brokeback Mountain, was titled El Secreto en la oh. Montaña, The Secret on the Mountain. Now, they're not even on the mountain very much. They're not on, they're, the mountain does not feature prominently in Brokeback Mountain.
2: They're not gay cowboys either. They're bisexual shepherds. So
1: well, my my relatives in Mexico, I come from uh, part of my family uh, are cattle ranchers, so they're they're really into Westerns. They'll watch anything with cowboys in it. But I told my very uh, macho uncles that are cattle ranchers that this uh, secret in the mountain movie was a thriller and that the secret was an exciting part of the film. Uh, And my uncles don't ask me for movie recommendations since the 2005 release, (laughs) El Secreto en la Montaña. But that's a long digression. We don't have to get too much into it. Let's get back on track here, guys. Uh, Looking over the release dates of these movies that we just mentioned, uh, Rebecca, can you go over uh, those release dates uh, per title that were announced during Comic-Con before we talk a little bit more about Black Panther Wakanda Forever?
2: So we have the new Blade version. Uh, So we have the new incarnation of Blade with Mahershala Ali coming out uh, November 3rd, 2023. Uh, Captain America New World Order early May 2024, followed by Thunderbolts July 26th, the end of that summer. And uh, another Fantastic Four movie coming out 2024 November, kind of filling that autumn Thor traditional spot. Uh, and then those two big team-up Avengers movies, Avengers the King Dynasty and Secret Wars, both coming out in 2025, King Dynasty in May, and Secret Wars on November 7th. More recently, uh, we do have Black Panther Wakanda Forever coming out November 11th of this year. Um, it's too far out at this point to, uh, to make any sort of you know, long-range forecasts that that we could really stand behind. That said, I mean, I imagine this is going to be one of the biggest movies of Q4 this year, along with Avatar, perhaps.
3: Marvel has been working with release dates pretty typically and consistently in May, July, and November. So we have Ant-Man and the Wasp in February. We have Guardians Volume 3 in May. Marvel's in July, so it's a little more packed in 2023 than has been the case. There's going to be four movies total, because it's those three, then Blade in November. So what that tells us, though, is that unless they add another February movie for 24, which seems unlikely or one in 25, there's still a couple of release dates that are open. Um, There's no July 2025 movie set right now, which would be between the two Avengers movies that are currently planned. So there's at least one more movie that's going to be announced, and there might even be more than that. We just don't know at this point. So um, there could be at least that one extra title, and whether that would be a Deadpool movie, Another Spider-Man movie, possibly the Shang-Chi sequel, which we know they're developing. There's something else that's going to go in there that we don't have a a title for yet.
2: Skipping to the other side of the comic book movie fence, we... uh do have several, I don't think we actually got any new film announcements, but we did see some new footage from upcoming uh, Warner Brothers releases, Black Adam with Dwayne Johnson and Shazam, Fury of the Gods.
3: We got those two movies. We've known those were coming out. Those both arrived this year in October and December. They both look perfectly entertaining. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But after those, DC's plans are... Very much up in the air. And there are a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one of them is that they were probably going to use, and almost certainly are using, the Flash movie as kind of a reset to do some changes to the established. Kind of story framework that was built by the Justice League movies and the Zack Snyder movies, which DC is moving away from. But then there's all sorts of other stuff. You know, it's like uh, Warner Brothers has just gone through uh, a buyout. Warner Brothers is now owned by Discovery. They've got, there's different people in charge. They have different priorities. There were some movies that were planned for streaming, uh, like Blue Beetle, which was going to be an HBO Max exclusive. That's now going to theatrical in. Twenty three, I think that's set for twenty three. There's a Batgirl movie. Oh, well,
2: that's neat. That doesn't that doesn't happen too it doesn't, often,
3: you know. And there's a there's a Batgirl movie, which I think is still supposed to be an HBO Max debut. But it's like, why? Why aren't you doing that theatrical? And so, and I think that question is being asked inside Discovery Warner at this point.
1: And there's also a Joker sequel from Todd Phillips. Uh, that was a surprise hit, an R rated film at the box office for it to perform as well as it did. I thought it worked really well as a one-off. Now it's a franchise? I don't, we don't know. I don't know. I think that's a little bit of a we risk. We don't know. I mean, he,
3: yeah. Todd Phillips posted an image of a script that sort of announced that sequel. There were One of the trades ran something that Lady Gaga was being courted for a key role, which everybody has kind of assumed to be a version of Harley Quinn. It certainly makes sense because that movie cost very little and it made a crazy amount of money. So uh, from Discovery Warner's, perspective, do you want to do Joker again? Yeah, you probably do. And there's still the Aquaman sequel coming out. And the Aquaman sequel is once again, directed by James Wan. Aquaman was super fun. I really enjoyed that movie. It's ridiculous, but it was a ridiculous good time. Um, They are doing another one of those, but it's sort of like that, you know, they're doing so much to sort of cut the ties to the stuff that Zack Snyder did. Aquaman was part of that. So, how does the Aquaman sequel fit in with whatever DC is going to be? We don't know. Does it have to fit in? It doesn't. Like, the Batman was a standalone movie. And I think that absent someone like Kevin Feige, who acts as a unifying force to really keep everything focused on a, on a pretty core path, that which Marvel has done, maybe you don't have to have everything connect. Maybe you can just make a bunch of movies. For well over a hundred years, people have make, been making successful movies that are not part of a cinematic universe. So it can be done.
1: It works. It does it work. Works. I have to say that I saw something that I was looking forward to seeing at CinemaCon I didn't get to see it back in Vegas, but I saw it on my computer. The John Wick 4 trailer looks awesome. Guys, it's fan service. I like that mini franchise. Who doesn't love Keanu Reeves? March 24th, 2023 for John Wick 4. I'm going to be there opening weekend. And then uh, for the nerds in the audience and also on this panel, Merry Christmas. Uh, Paramount gave you guys the trailer for Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. That's coming out March 3rd, 2023. What do you guys think?
2: Deep in my heart, I am hoping that this is an elaborate prank from Paramount and that on the release date of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves on March 3rd, 2023, they will prank all of us and just re-release the Jeremy Irons uh, Dungeons and Dragons because that movie's terrible and I love it. But that said, I mean, there has really been over these past few years, I have marked increase in interest in in D&D and that kind of tabletop role-playing culture. You have, uh, you know, kind of online series like Critical Role that have really gotten a new generation of of people into Dungeons & Dragons. So it's no surprise, definitely, that Paramount is taking advantage of this moment.
3: It looks supremely silly. And uh, I have no problem with silly. You know, it's uh, Chris Pine running around being charming. Great. He is charming. I'm Excited! Yeah. We get a couple Chris Pine movies now. You know he's in Don't Worry, Darling, where it seems like he plays the bad guy. He looks great as a bad guy. He looks perfectly entertaining as a silly Danny Ocean kind of bard in Dungeons and Dragons. And if
2: remember uh, his uh, his Into the Woods, the Disney musical, where it just looked like why is he doing this? This is this is why why is he doing a supporting role? And and, and he was just. <laughs> (laughs) bonkers and it was amazing so i'm hoping for something like that
3: i'm a i'm a chris pine fan i'm not i i don't need to argue who's the best chris but chris pine is a good chris so
1: uh, he's the working man's chanting table that's that's (laughs) how i feel about chris pine i am completely behind this this kind of looks like an oceans
3: 11 movie that has dungeons and dragons both in it and you
1: know what sure why not So we've got a packed calendar here for 2023 and 2024 and looking at 2025, I'm going to say it right now, there's no way two Avengers movies come out on the same year. There's no way. You guys can call me out two years from now, but I'm just looking at that schedule. One of those Avengers movies gets pushed back to 26 at the very least. It just makes business sense. Well, Russ, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us again here on the Box Office Podcast. Up next, we've got the feature segment of this episode. We've got an interview with the organizers of CineShow, the Regional Convention of the Theaters Owners of Mid-America, which is taking place in Dallas from August 22 to 24th. Please join us to listen from both Byron Berkeley and Diane Pfeffer after this break. And we are here on the Box Office Podcast with Diane Pfeffer, the director of Cineshow, the upcoming event organized by the theater owners of Mid America in Dallas, Texas, from August twenty-two and twenty-fourth. And we are also joined by Byron Berkeley, the president of the Theater Owners of Mid America, and also the owner and operator of uh, the Four Star Cinema down in Kilgore, Texas. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Um, An exciting event coming up. It's one of my favorite times on the schedule, going down to Dallas and checking out CineShow in person. What can we look forward to?
4: Oh, thank you so much, Daniel, for inviting us on this morning. We're so excited. We've just surpassed uh, over 60 booths. So to answer your question, we've got um, a wide variety of vendors. Um, everything from popcorn to technology, and we've made it easy. We've made it accessible. Our pricing is very affordable. It's $235 to register for CNA Show, and once you do, you're going to receive all of the seminars, the trade show, all the meals, and the bus transportation as we guide you and shuttle you to some new concepts that are going to even open up your mind more and show you the possibilities of how cinemas are advancing. We jumpstart the conference on August 22nd by visiting the newest concept that Cinemark has brought out, and that's called Cut by Cinemark.
1: That's the dine-in concept from Cinemark, as, as we know. Dine-ins are huge in the state of Texas. They're getting bigger uh, nationally. This is a brand new concept that Cinemark, not that long ago, really rolled out as its own dine-in brand. Which location of Cut are we going to be able to see?
4: Cut by Cinemark in Frisco. And, so, and Frisco is one of the more... It, it is supposed to be the sports city USA and one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. Uh, but this this location will please everyone i mean it's just a sensory delight when as soon as you walk in it's beautiful it's luxurious um just the the dine-in area around the bar it's all inclusive uh seats about 164 people so it's um, it's really very nice, very luxurious. I know I've said that word before, but that is one that is the one word that will come to your mind. So we we are treating everyone to um, dinner and drinks uh, there, where we kind of reunite with our friends that we haven't seen since. COVID happened. And um, then we're going to go into the auditorium and experience a screening.
0: Diane, you might want to mention to uh, Daniel also, just as a little insight, a little trivia thing, that this theater is right almost next door to the new PGA uh, headquarters, which are being constructed in that area. Oh, nice. Right, right in the yes. middle of that facility almost there which is going to be a nice addition and certainly will help the theater I'm sure once they get up and running. Hey
1: dinner movie and the driving range that's, that sounds like a really yeah, good deal you know that's a that's like nights out.
4: The theater is very well positioned um, and it's brand new. You can charge your electric vehicle outside if you want to. It's, it's really a state-of- the art theater and so that's how we start CNA show on August 27th in the evening. The next morning on the 23rd, um, our breakfast features ComScore, who's, who's really doing a great job in putting together some interesting trivia. And now we call it data in the, in the business world, but they're putting together data that matters to those regions that attend CNA Show, um, such as Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri. Kansas and Texas, you know, you know, these are what you want to know is, is data and information that you care about that's happening in your backyard. And that's, what's going to be presented through Comscore at the breakfast. From there, we go into a seminar and a panel discussion. Uh, The panel discussion is worth noting because it's how to do business right now, and we normally refer to it as doing business post-COVID, but what we've got going on now is supply chain challenges. So if you're a cinema owner listening to this podcast and you're thinking about expanding or you're thinking about new construction or just reconstruction, you want to know how to plan that project out, what needs to be ordered first. Sometimes it's the things that you think are highly accessible that are not so easy to get right now so this seminar is for you uh, but it's also just normal supplies that you used to just click and order and now there's some delays so get up to speed be informed about solutions to these challenges
1: what are some of the other highlights that we can expect uh, from the week
4: sure Well, we move from that panel discussion that um, Jeff Kaplan with Sharp NEC is going to lead, like I said, related to uh, supply chain challenges, but also solutions to this. We go from there to our award ceremony. So we're honoring individuals that have contributed in three different ways. The first one is Belinda Judson, who has been with NATO and she's very well known um, and so we are giving her the Lifetime Achievement Award. So uh, Byron will be introducing Belinda. We'll be, we'll, we've got a real special presentation for her. Um, then we're honoring Joel Davis with Premier Cinemas. And that award is called the Frank Liberto Award. And so Tony Liberto will be uh, presenting that award to Joel Davis. And then we are honoring uh, Jamie and Jeff Benson, who are co-founders and owners of Synergy Entertainment. It's a full spectrum of entertainment options. It's bowling, it's axe throwing, it's going to the movies. And that's one of the trends that we're seeing now. So from there, we really just slide over into our trade show our trade after the luncheon the awards luncheon is over we go into the trade show which is from 1 to 5 p.m
0: We're actually literally sold out on the trade show right now hmm. the the turnout for the trade show was much greater than we expected it to be so that's that's very encouraging We were a little you know initially concerned that a lot of these suppliers would not be willing to make the trek to Dallas at this point because of the uncertainty of the business, but that doesn't seem to be the case at all. There's tremendous support for the trade show. So we've got a full house and we're we're very excited about that.
1: Now, Byron, you're an exhibitor yourself. You've got a theater in Kilgore, Texas, that's on the drive between Shreveport, Louisiana, and Dallas. So you're in a small town there, right in the middle of the state. What can you tell us about that recovery? Because we've heard a lot from big circuits. We've heard a lot from art houses and urban centers. What's the hometown cinema like, the four-star cinema over in Kilgore, Texas,
0: uh, looking like right now after the pandemic? Well, right now we're blessed that we survived the pandemic, of course, as everybody is, but I guess timing is everything, but just Prior to the onslaught of the pandemic, we converted this theater to all recliner seating. In fact, we just finished the we just finished the conversion when the state notified us that we had to close. So we oh no! Here, <laughs> so <laughs> we sat here. We sat here several months with beautiful recliner seats and nobody sitting in them. But uh, to answer your question more directly, when we reopened, of course, it took a while, but. Uh, We saw a gradual return of our clientele. It started off with younger families initially, and then, of course, we began to get some of our older customers back. And at this point in time uh, right now, we are at about 85% year-to-date where we were during 2019. So uh, our recovery has been pretty uh, significant, and uh, I don't know that we could have expected it to be any better than this. And uh, so we're very pleased with it. I think the recliner seating had a lot to do with it. It really provided a reason for customers to come back and we did everything else possible. We you know, increased our social marketing, uh, we did a lot of other things to entice people to come back. Like a lot of people, we were selling popcorn on the street and soft drinks and everything else to get people to come back to the theater, but it has worked and, and we're very pleased with where we are right now, so the main thing, as it always is in this business, if our studio partners can supply us with product, uh, I think we can we can deliver the customers.
1: Now, we know that the big studio titles, every year they really help cinemas like yours, an independent theater in a small town in Texas. They really help drive audiences, but that's not the only type of programming that helps uh, a theater like yours. We have a film right now out uh, from Sony where the crawdads sing. That's a movie that was partially shot in Louisiana that you're just a short drive away from. That's not the big blockbuster that's driving headlines. I think like Diane is saying, that's why it's important to bring in Comscore to a regional event to show how different films that maybe aren't making $500 million really help drive business in different parts of the country. What's been your experience with a
0: title like that? Initially, Sony was reluctant to release it to us because they weren't looking at smaller markets when they first presented their marketing plan for the picture. So we were not even on their list to begin with, and uh, we made a strong argument through our booking service that, uh, hey guys, this part of the country, people are very familiar with that book, that story, and certainly very familiar with crawdads, so you're talking to the right audience in this part of the country. And they backed off and changed their marketing plan, and we got a copy of the picture, and actually. It has been one of our largest grocers. In fact, this weekend, it was our largest grocer, beating out all of our other pictures. So uh, it was uh, very, very pleasing to see that kind of an audience. And it's an older audience, largely female, which is also encouraging because that was an audience that was always a little bit reluctant to return to the theater. So when you give them a picture, as they have in this case, as Sony has, they come back. So that's, that's very encouraging that's such an important
1: point and a great example of how exhibition needs a diversity of content from the studios we know you guys are going to hit it out of the park whenever they give you a spider-man whenever they give you an iron man a big superhero but hey you still have people in your community that want to see different films you don't have the data to back it up until you get those films i'm really happy that you were able to get a title like where the Crawdads sing and you can come back with the numbers to prove why you're as important as one of the top markets one of the top dmas in the nation when it comes to a release strategy these are movies that should hit every single community in the country really glad to hear that that's the case uh, down in kilgore texas so byron looking at this event that you uh help oversee here in dallas cineshow that brings in a lot of exhibitors from that region in the center of the country what are your main priorities going into cineshow 2022 what are you most excited to find out from your perspective
0: i don't know daniel that there's any one thing i've been so involved with this thing for so many years that I have such a broad involvement in it that it's hard to answer any one particular question about it. The, the main concern I have is that we can deliver to our members some knowledge that they can take with them when they leave and say, hey, I learned something at this show that I can apply in my theater, uh, even if it's just one item. If, if I can take this home and apply it and it improves my operation or improves my bottom line." whatever then that's that's what i'm looking for. Now my goal in in this whole show which we've been involved in, this show is now 24 years old. We started it in Dallas in what was it 1998 i guess it was in Dallas, which at that time was NATO of Texas and then we branched out and merged with the, the other states. But if we can deliver something of value to each person attending that show and that's accomplished then we will be very happy with it.
4: And as Byron said, there is um, something for everyone. Um, If you are a cinema owner and you're thinking about introducing gaming into your theater, there will be a seminar for that. We have Rick Starr with Sandbox, and he'll be explaining exactly how you first start out, how you can test it in your theater, and you know, not just information that you need, but also the equipment that you need to launch it and that'll be at Flix Brew House that's our other offsite meeting that we're going to and Flix Brew House is based in Texas its concept is a brewery inside of a cinema so that's very different as well and so then our party of the uh, on Tuesday night is being sponsored by Influx worldwide and then if you want more of information about payments and more technical information about, hey, how do I set up, you know, the correct passwords and so that they're not hacked, uh, just speaking bluntly. You know, we've <laughs> got Win Salich, who's going to give just an excellent uh, detailed how to do it and leave you with sites to go to for even more information. And then we've got Rich Dotrich with I, the ICA president. He's going to speak all about plans that are in place to strengthen independent cinema. So that speaks directly to our audience. And, and that's why we've, we've organized it this way, is what does an independent cinema need? And so we end our last seminar that we're having is called Mavericks and Mustangs. And it's kind of a, an interesting term given that, um, you know, we, we have people out there that are starting new concepts uh, such as Look Cinema, such as uh, David Farr from um, Jackson, Mississippi, who renovated a very old theater. It was was opened originally in 1920, and he renovated a theater in Jackson, Mississippi. And we're going to see kind of the challenges he went through. But also, he exhibited, in my opinion, someone who knew what his strengths were and knew the areas that he needed help. And that's always a good model for other people to, to look at.
0: This will be really the first time in, what, two and a half years that independent exhibitors, and for that matter, circuit exhibitors, who we have many attending, have really had a chance to get together, not only socially, but also just to interact you know, on business issues for a couple of days to really share a lot of information. And I think that's going to be a very helpful outcome of this, that all of these theater owners, operators, and managers can get together and really talk about all the things that have occurred over the last two and a half years, how they've addressed them, and how they've resolved them. And I think that's going to be a major benefit of this show.
1: Where can people find more information on the show? If they're looking to register, if they're looking to sponsor, where can they head over?
4: Simply visit the show website, which is cnashow.org. And I'll spell that out for you. It's C-I-N-E-S-H-O-W dot O-R-G. And on that site, there's two important buttons. One is a register button and that'll lead them right to the portal where they can um, register for 235, $235 per person. And then that again, um, that price is inclusive of everything that the show entails. And then the other important button is our show schedule, Um, and that's a blue button. They click that and they can really see, you know, hour by hour what we'll be doing and where we'll be going. We'll have a show app as well, and I do want to let people know that the show app is being developed by Theater Toolkit, and we'll be putting that on our website this week. Um, They can download that, and the app will really help you navigate through the show as well.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm really looking forward to being there. Box Office Pro is a proud media sponsor of CineShow. We love uh, supporting all the regional conventions out there. So, if you're going to be out there in Texas from August 22 to 24th, I'll be there as well. Come say hi. Byron, Diane, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. Me. Appreciate it very much.